Draw me close to you.
Well, good morning, everyone. It is sure glad to see um, all of you here today. We want to extend a very uh, special welcome to all those who may be visiting with us. We are glad that you have chose to come and worship with us here this morning. Just a couple of quick announcements. I hope you grabbed a bulletin on your way in. A lot of important information in here. A couple that I uh, would like to highlight. But first, I want to say a huge thank you to every person who came out last Sunday to help with our back-to-school bash. Uh, We had an awesome night. If you were here, you were able to witness that. Uh, You were able to see uh, many people from communities coming to be loved on, coming to be encouraged, coming just to be welcome, and for us to be able to love on them and share the love of Christ. So thank you to everyone who came out to help and be a part of that. Uh, Two things I want to mention really quickly. Uh, First, we have a new discipleship group that is starting up the first Sunday in September. Um, If you are interested in being a part of that, have questions about um, what our discipleship program is, what it looks like, what we do, uh, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, I need to know kind of soon if you want to be a part of that so I can get you the materials uh, that you will need for that class. Uh, So if you have any questions, please feel free to see me. And also, we are going to be starting a new cycle of our discovery class. If you have been visiting us for some time and um, are interested in knowing more about our church, who we are, why we do what we do, we will have a two-part discovery class that will start uh, Sunday, September the 10th during the Sunday school hour. And if you are interested in being a part of that, please let me know uh, so that way I can get you the materials that you will need for that class. So... Pretty much, if you need anything right now, (laughs) I'm the guy. So if you need anything, uh, please feel free to reach out to me. I'd be more than glad to help you out. And again, please make sure you have a bulletin. A lot of important information in there as well for you. Let's pray together and we'll get started about why we're here. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just stand in awe before your throne as to just gaze upon who you are. Lord, just to have this opportunity to behold even just a small glimpse of, of your glory that you have chosen to reveal to us. And so, Lord, we thank you that we are able to be here today to worship you, the true God, the living God, the God who has come down from heaven to save us. Lord, we thank you that you give us breath in our lungs to praise you. We thank you that you give us movement in our bodies for us to move towards you. We thank you for giving us hearts that we can not only experience your love, but we can love others as well. And so, Lord, our prayer is that in this time, that we just have a time truly where we worship you, where we come before your throne, where we lay down all of our burdens all of our cares, all of our victories, all of our sorrows as an act of worship to you. Lord, our prayers at this time that we have together will not just be for us to sing another song, for us to read another passage and to hear another sermon, but that this time that we have to worship you will be transformative to the very depth of who we are so that as we leave this place, we no longer resemble who we are, but we resemble you and your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.
shown us. Gratefully lift up your voice. His gentleness among us will join our hearts with praise. We gather in his goodness a family of praise with Let's pray. God, we thank you again so much for this opportunity to come to your house as a representation of of your family, and uh, we just pray that everything that takes place from here on, the rest of the singing, the preaching, and the fellowship, that and the tithes and offerings, that you would be glorified and blessed in it all. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Thank you for your singing. You may be seated. Well, praise the Lord. I hope you can say that this morning. I hope you can say with all the confidence uh, that your heart contains that it is well with your soul this morning. Uh, Rhonda and I had such an awesome privilege Friday night. We, we, we did the young people thing and attended a concert. I don't know if you do that much, but uh, we went to see a two great uh, Christian artists, both of them worship leaders is the way they began their musical career. And so we were able to stand in a, in a coliseum with 10,000 people and just worship God. Uh, and man, I want to tell you something. Uh, if you ever want to get your batteries recharged, if they're kind of getting, if, if your energy, worship energy is getting a little low, uh, Find you a good Christian concert uh, to go and just worship with God's people. It's a great way to be re-energized. And we hope that when you come in here on Sunday mornings that you find that your batteries are recharged here as well as we uh, have an opportunity to sing together. Uh, We have an opportunity to study God's Word together. We have an opportunity to spend time getting to know each other uh, a little bit better as well. If um, you have your Bibles, whether... Uh, the written copy or on your phones, if you will, find Philippians chapter number 4. Philippians chapter number 4. There in the New Testament, uh, one of the letters that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote while he was spending time in a Roman prison. Now, the only thing he was accused of uh, is preaching about Jesus. And it upset a lot of people, just like it does today. But in those days, uh, it was oftentimes grounds for being arrested and finding yourself in trouble with the government. And so Paul has found himself in prison once again. Now, what's interesting is that it was in the city of Philippi that he was first imprisoned. And now he has, after being freed there, he is in Rome, he's in prison again, but guess who he's writing to? The Philippians, the people back in Philippi. And as we have gone through this book together, we've talked about Paul has focused on several different themes, but the primary theme that he's focused on and what he wanted these, these people in Philippi to know uh, was that it doesn't matter how bad things get around you. It doesn't matter how many things may go right or go wrong in your life that you can live a life that is anchored, that's not being tossed back and forth by the storms that you find yourself in. And so we're going to complete our time together in the book of Philippians today, and we'll be in chapter 4. And I'd like to be able for us to read verses 10 down through verse number 23. So here's what the Bible says as Paul is writing under the the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at least you have received your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. 
Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him or through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, that no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father... Be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me, they greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let us pray. Lord, thank you that you enable us to be able to sing a song that declares it is well with our soul. And Lord, the only reason we can sing that song in a world that's filled with trouble and sorrow and heartache and suffering, that the only reason we can sing that song is because of what you have accomplished and what you are providing through Jesus Christ, to all who will believe in him. And we thank you, Lord, that when we come to you and we surrender our life to you, when we repent of our sins and turn away from our sins and we turn to you as our only hope, that in that moment, all things become well with our soul. That at that moment, Lord, you give us peace with God. That that judgment, that rest between us and God because of our sin and because of our disobedience, that, Lord, it's removed. And that we can say, it is well with my soul. Lord, as we study your word this morning, I pray that the very Holy Spirit of God that met with Paul in that jail cell that moved upon his heart and his mind and his hand as he penned these words to those believers in Philippi, that that same Holy Spirit that is alive and well today will now, with us in this place, give us the ability to understand. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Glorify your name through your word is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close our study of the book of Philippians, the letter of Philippians, 
I want to remind us one last time of what it means to live an anchored life. A life that is anchored is not anchored in anything of this world, but is anchored completely and solely in who God is and how He has revealed to us in His Word. A, a life that is anchored in the truth of Jesus Christ. A relationship with Him, a, a, a desire to know more about Him as we read His Word and He reveals Himself to us. That is an anchored life. And here's what we got to remember. The Philippians that are reading this, these people who have turned to Jesus Christ as their Savior, surrendered their life to Him, they're going through heavy persecution. We've got to remember that Rome was pantheistic and that they had many gods. They had a, a God that that was over the moon and a God over the sun and a God over the stars and a God over the wind and a God over the earth and a God over fertility. And I mean, they had all of these gods that they worshipped. And for these believers to proclaim that there's only one God and that He has all control and He has all power and all knowledge and all wisdom, it was unpopular for them. We live in a world that's pantheistic. There are a lot of gods in our world right now. There's the God of entertainment and the God of pleasure and the, the God of sex, the God of drugs, the God of alcohol, the God of, of, of workaholism, uh, the, the God of, of, of pleasure. I mean, there's all kind of gods in the world we live in today. And so for you and I to proclaim to in our life and with our words and with our mouth, there's only one true God and and He can satisfy all those things, but there's only one true God. It makes us unpopular as well. So He's trying to encourage them to hang on to their faith in Christ because the God that they serve is greater than all the other gods that these, these people around them claim to serve. And that the, the one true God who has delivered them out of the bondage of their sin and has granted them the privilege of eternal life, that that God is powerful and that God is, has a plan for their life and that God has a purpose for their life and that God is able to meet every need that they have and that that God is all that they need through Jesus Christ. He's trying to encourage them. So as he's closing this letter to them, he offers to them three distinct advantages to living a life that is anchored in the truth of who God is and in the truth of God's Word and in the truth of Jesus Christ. He, he, he says, look... Yes, that you're right. They're, you're at a disadvantage right now because you're a believer, because you're being persecuted for it. But, but before you give up on your faith, I want you to know there's some advantages that you have that those who don't believe have. And so he offers them these three advantages. The first one is this. We see it referenced in verse 10. We see it referenced in verse 14. And we see it referenced yet again in verse 16. And that is simply this, that as a, a born-again believer, someone who has surrendered their life to Jesus and is anchored in that truth and anchored in the Word of God, that now you have the support 
of all believers. You, you have a new family. You have a bigger support system. You have more people in your corner rooting for you than you have ever had before. He uses his own condition, by the way, to kind of demonstrate this key advantage. You see, Paul traveled from place to place, and he preached in different cities. And as he would, as he would teach people about who Jesus is and all that Jesus accomplished, and people would surrender their life to him, a church would begin, a, a group of people who believed in Christ would begin to meet in that city or in that town or in that village, and a church would be born there. And so he would oftentimes, as he entered into a town or a city or a village, he would, he would have to find a place to stay. He would have to provide, he'd, he'd have to have some way of providing money to, for, to eat and, and to have the necessities of life. And so often he would do what he was so well equipped at doing. He was, he was a tent maker by trade. And often when he went into these towns, these villages, these cities, he would set up a little shop where he would build tents and construct tents and make tents. And, and I'm not talking about these little pop-up things like you buy at Walmart right now, okay? I, I'm not talking about the Amazon version of it. Because many of these people had to travel for their, uh, for their trade. They had to travel travel to, to, to sell their goods from city to city. They had to travel to, to buy their goods. And, and so often they found themselves on the roads. And guess what? There were no holiday inns. There, there were no Motel 6s. There were no, certainly no Marriott's or, or Hilton's or anything like that. So often these people found themselves having to camp on the sides of the road or in these cities where they, they would stop. They would camp there. And so they needed tents to keep them out of the elements. And so Paul built those tents and often sold them in those cities. He sought to be self-sufficient and not rely on the donations of others to live. And But many times those gifts were given to him by other believers and it was such a blessing to him. And usually as, as he traveled from place to place and as people came to know Jesus as Savior, more and more partners began to join him and travel with him. So now he was not only feeding himself, but, that, but other men who had a heart for people to know who Jesus is and have their life transformed. They traveled with him so that when he entered into a city, now it wasn't just one man telling people about Jesus, but it was a, it, it was a group of men spreading out over the city telling people about Jesus and so he he had to provide for them as well as himself and those gifts from other believers became more and more important more people meant more money and the believers in Philippi had been so generous to him with with the gifts that they could give to help him continue preaching the gospel and to travel to yet another city so that one more person could hear about Jesus and have their life changed. Paul had their financial support, but he not only had their financial support, but he understood something that these people loved him and that they prayed for him wherever he went. 
They may not know. I mean, of course, they didn't have cell phones and they didn't have uh, the, the means to check in with each other regularly. They may not know what city he's in today or, or what city he's traveling to next. But here's what they knew, that wherever Paul was going, he was carrying the greatest news that had ever been spoken on this planet. He was telling somebody about Jesus. Someone was hearing the truth about the one true God and, and having the opportunity to have their life changed. So while they didn't know exactly where he may have been, they were praying for him. Praying that he'd have safe travel. Praying that his needs would be met. Praying that whenever he would speak to someone, that God would open their heart to hear the truth and receive the truth. They were always praying for him. And, and so as Paul is, is sitting in this jail cell and he's looking back, he's, he's telling them, listen, not only do you have, uh, have you become uh, a group that surrounds me and encourages me, but guess what? All the other believers in all the other cities, they're praying for you. You're part of a bigger family. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but in the midst of talking about an anchored life that is anchored in the truth of Jesus Christ, over and over again, Paul keeps coming back to the need that we have for other people. Over and over again. Why could Paul rejoice in a prison? Because he knew there were some believers in these other cities that had no, that they know Jesus as their Savior, just like he knows him as his Savior, and that those people love him and they're praying for him. That's why he could rejoice sitting in a prison cell. He's talking about that support, that encouragement that we receive from other people who have faith in Jesus Christ. When we're rooted and we're grounded in the truth of God and we're rooted and grounded in who Jesus is, our hearts are bound together with other believers. Now, I want to tell you, on Friday night, we in that group of 10,000 or so people, that they, they were people from, from every kind of Christian walk that you could imagine. I promise you they weren't all Baptist. Because they were raising their hands. That proves they, most of them ain't Baptist. They were jumping up and down and they were clapping their hands. That proves they weren't Baptists, right? But here's what I want you to understand. In that moment of time, as we worshipped in song, we were all together. And we were one spirit, one heart, one intent on praising the one God who has saved every one of us. And it made us one. I'll never know their names individually. I, I may never know what their backgrounds are or what church they attended. I, I may never know anything personally about them. But here's what I do know. In that moment of time, being in that place together, filled with the same Spirit of God, worshiping the same God of heaven, who redeemed us by the same blood, while Jesus died on the same cross and rose from the same tomb, we were one. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. You may not know all the other believers that work around you. You may not know all the other believers that live around you. But can I tell you something? You have a support system there that you don't even know about because they are bound together with you in their love and worship of the one true God. 
We find care. We find concern. We, we find encouragement. That single advantage alone is a reason enough for us to desire and long to know Jesus and belong to his, to, to his body of born-again believers. Because, listen, in this world, we find ourselves often isolated and detached. In the world where this thing connects us to more people than maybe we've ever been connected to before, you know what? It still isolates us. It still isolates us. Oh, but I've got this many friends on Facebook. Oh, oh I've got this many followers on Instagram. Oh, I've got, listen, uh, on, 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 my, on my personal whatever it may be, I've got all of these connections all over the world. Well, that's great. But how many of them are believers that share your faith? You want to find out? Write something about the glory of God and write something about the, the glory of Jesus Christ on that social media, you'll find out how many believers you've got connected to you. All of a sudden, you'll start getting the, the responses. Some of them are going to be positive. But by and large, they're going to be negative. Closed-minded, religious nut. Some, somebody needing religion as a crutch. Some, some weak-minded person. Some, you're, you're, you're either bigoted or you're closed-minded or you're, I mean, you, there's a dozen labels they'll put on you when you do that. But when you're with the body of Christ, can I tell you something? We may not agree on every point of theology, but one thing we do agree on if we're born-again believers is that the God of heaven loves us and has adopted us into his family and that Jesus died for us and we know him. And that's what unites us. So that's advantage number one. That's enough. But he says, oh, by the way, there's a second advantage. And we find that in verse 11, 12, and 13. Can I tell you something? Verse 13, I love verse 13. I really do. I love Philippians 4, 13. It is the often one of the most taken out of context passages of Scripture in the Bible. Because more times than not, when we say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know what we're saying? I can do everything. I cannot do everything. Uh, if you get anywhere close to that front pew while we're singing, you know what you're going to find out? I got Christ in my heart. I know I do. I belong to Jesus. I can't sing a lick. Uh, you, you, you know, you, you know. There's some other things I would do. We were talking a while ago about, you know, the the clay shooting tournament coming up, and somebody people are asking me, "Are you going to participate?" <laughs> you want me with a gun? Really? You want me with a gun? Because I'm going to tell you what you're going to find. I may shoot a lot of stuff that day, but it it won't be a clay. It's going to be a stray bird in the air. It's going to be limbs off of that tree. It's going to be whatever. Probably not going to be that clay because I am not good with a gun. My son is. My son-in-law is. Not me. So I can say, oh, I can do all things through Christ. Pull. And guess what? I'm probably not going to hit that clay. Out of context, 
out of context. Paul was reflecting back on his life. And while the world was singing the, long before they even came around, of course, I don't know, Mick Jagger may have been alive when Paul was. I can't get no satisfaction. While the whole world's singing it, Paul says, I know how to, I can find satisfaction. I know how to be satisfied. That's the context of what he's talking about. He's reflecting back over his time in serving Jesus, and he observes all the different situations that he's found himself in and and he knows what it's like to be hungry he knows what it's like to have more food than he can eat we heard a testimony from a a, a gentleman who was from uganda is that right was you huh kenya there you go kenya and he was talking about how a lot of times him and his friends would come home and they would have been out playing and, and all this good stuff, and they would be hungry just to find out there's no food to eat. And they'd have to go to bed hungry. And he, he said, I remember coming to America, and they took me to a golden corral. And here's what they told me. You can eat as much as you want. He said, I almost killed myself that day, eating everything I could. Paul says, I know what it's like to be in Kenya and have nothing, but I also know what it's like to be at Golden Corral and have more than I need. I, I, I know what both of those feel like. I, I've experienced both of those. He said, I, I, I've, I've known what it's like not to have a place to, to lay my head. And the only thing I owned was the clothes on my back. But I've also known what it was like to live and to stay with, with another believer who had a nice home and had a warm bed and had food to eat and, and had all of these amenities in life. He said, I, I know what both of those are like. I've, I've been there. I, I've, I've experienced the extremes of both. And here's his conclusion. That my circumstances do not affect my worship of God And my mission to serve him. When my stomach was grumbling because I hadn't eaten in days, I still wanted to worship God and serve him. And when I had those days when I had my golden corral lunch and I had all of the amenities, I still wanted to worship God and I still wanted to serve him. That's what he's saying. I have learned that my satisfaction in life is not based on what's going on in my life. It's not based on what I have or don't have. It's not based on on what's going on around me, whether it's good or bad or indifferent. It doesn't matter if someone's with me or I'm alone. I've learned in every situation, in every circumstance, I can be satisfied because I have a relationship relationship with Jesus. I have my sins forgiven. I have been forgiven of God. I am loved by him and this other stuff does not matter. That's what he's trying to say. My circumstances do not affect that. You see, it's easy to give excuses of why we don't want to serve God or why we can't live the anchored life or why I don't want to give my life to Jesus. It's always, listen, if you're waiting for the perfect time for any of that to happen, the world will make sure that it never happens. 
We, we find ourselves saying like this, saying things like this. If only I had, or if only I could. You know, when I get everything straightened out, when I get all my ducks lined up, you know, I, I read something the other day on Facebook. I love this guy. I don't know who he was, but he said, look, here's what I figured out about those ducks you're trying to line up. They're not in line, and two of them are chickens. And that's what he's trying to say. If, if, if I have to wait till I get my, my ducks in a row, if I have to wait till I get everything settled, if I have to wait till I get that out of my system, if I have to wait till this is the perfect time, it will never be. And so we make excuses. If we have abundance, we can use that for an excuse. If we have nothing, we can use that as, as an excuse. But Paul learned the secret to being satisfied regardless of the situation was that his life, his eternity, his soul was well with God because he was anchored in the truth of God and he had a relationship with Jesus. And here's what he said, that sustains me no matter what I'm going through. That satisfies me no matter what my situation may be. The claim, I can do all things, is not a claim of supernatural strength to accomplish human task. But here's what he's saying when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He is, he, here's what he's saying. God, through Jesus Christ, enables me to be satisfied with him no matter what is going on. God enables me to be satisfied at, listen, not just physically, but spiritually. That, that, that void in my heart is always full because I have that relationship with Jesus. There are people who have billions upon billions upon billions of dollars and they would say to you today, I'm not satisfied. There are people who have climbed the corporate ladder and they have reached the pinnacle of their career and they would say to you, I'm not satisfied. There are people who, will, who have amassed all of the, the things that we think bring pleasure in this world and they would say to you, I'm not satisfied because it's not stuff. and it's not power and it's not prestige and it's not prosperity that fills us, it's Jesus. And Paul says, I've learned that I can do all things. I can be satisfied in every situation because I know Jesus. The anchored life empowers us to do. There's one more advantage. We also enjoy the sufficiency of God's supply. You see that the gift that the Philippian believers had collected and had been delivered to Paul was brought to him by one of Paul's fellow laborers named Epaphroditus. And here's what Paul realized as he received this gift from these believers in Philippi. He realized that the very ones who sent him this gift were in dire need themselves. They were, they were getting kicked out of their jobs because they were believers. They were getting run out of their, their, their villages because they were believers. They were being abandoned by their family members because they were believers. They were being denied 
certain rights because they were believers. And here's what Paul understood. As he's, as he's looking at this gift that they sent to him, he thought, how blessed am I because these very people who gave me this have a need themselves. They're not given to me out of their abundance. They're given to me out of their own need. By the way, what a great lesson the believers in Philippi can help us understand here. I don't always have to bless other people because I have too much. Sometimes I can bless people even out of my need. Because God's gifted me something that they need. And I have the opportunity to bless them. Now, Paul turns the tables around. And he says to those, same, to those Christians, here's, here's what he says. Paul says to them, the same gracious God that just used you to meet my need is going to use someone else to meet your need. That's the beauty of being a part of the body of Christ. That's the beauty of being a part of the body of Christ. Jane tells me all the time, Preacher Tommy, I'm praying for you. And you know what? That meets a need in my life. Because there's just some days I need that extra encouragement. There's just some days I needed that little extra push. And, and, and she tells me that. And, and God provides something for me through her. And, and I pray that somewhere down the line that God has, has used me to meet something in her life. But that's the beauty of the body of Christ. It doesn't mean we have to always give someone money or give someone a, a physical thing. Sometimes it's encouragement. And listen, I may be dirt poor, but the one thing I can do is encourage somebody else who's struggling, who's going through a tough time. The one thing that I can always do, regardless of what my bank balance may be or regardless of what my physical capabilities may be, the one thing I can always do is pray for somebody who's hurting struggling I can do that and and listen that's what Paul is saying Paul is saying the same God that used you to meet my need he's going to make sure that your need is met as well because here's the thing we need to learn about God okay we're having a hard time with this one but I'm going to go ahead and give it to you true he owns everything He owns everything. Yeah, I've got this great house that I get to live in, but at the end of the day, God owns it. He grew the trees that made the wood, that built the frame, that made the house that I live in. The food that I eat, He owns it. He's the one who gave the farmers the ability to grow, and He's the one who made the land be fertile. He's the one who brought it to fruition. He's the one who provided those who would process that stuff and reap that stuff and deliver that stuff to to the grocery store so I could get it. He owns it. He owns everything. And so here's what Paul's saying. God's not short on resources. He's not short on supply. He owns everything. He owns what's in my pockets. He owns the dust in my pocketbook, in my wallet. He he owns all that stuff. And so here's here's what he's saying. The God that uses you to supply for others is the same God that has all things and can supply for you. Wow. God has a sufficient supply. 
As I used to hear people say, I don't hear it as much as I used to, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he owns the hills on which they graze. The very act of giving in the midst of their knees demonstrated how anchored they were in the word of God. They trusted God, that God, even though I need this little bit, there's someone who needs it more and I'm going to let go of it and I'm going to give it, believing and trusting, Lord, that that when this need in my life is going to be is going to be met by your great supply. God's riches has no bounds. But one of the greatest things he does is he funnels his riches through his people. The problem is we got too many clogs in the funnel because we think it's ours. I worked hard for this. You know how many hours I had to put in to get that? You know how much sweat I had to, uh, sweat equity I have in this? Do you realize uh, how many years I had to labor to, to, to get a hold of this? And, and we start talking about me and I and mine and all that good stuff. And God says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. I think what you're saying is that, that you had the privilege of receiving that through me. God owns it all. We become one of the ways God supplies the needs for others. We don't give expecting to receive in return, but we give because anything we hold in our hand belongs to Him. And we believe that. We, we trust that. And we, we, we know that God is going to take care of His children. The anchored life allows us to enjoy the sufficiency of God's supply to us, but also Enjoy the sufficiency of God's supply through us. So that brings us to the end of the book of Philippians. Oh, by the way, I love the way he ends this book. Don't miss verse 22. Remember we said that had Paul gone into the city of Rome and he had started preaching on the streets, he would have been primarily preaching to the to the the people who were blue collar, the people who were uh, who were merchants passing by, the people who maybe even were slaves that were carrying out the task of their masters. That's who he would have been preaching to. But now he's in a Roman prison. He has been chained to a Roman guard twenty four hours a day, seven days a week since the day he showed up. They switch guards. Every four to six hours. And so every four to six hours, he's got a new person chained to him that they can't get away. Listen, they're not trying to keep Paul from getting away from them. Paul's trying to keep them from getting away from him. Because now he's got a captive audience, doesn't he? He can tell them how much Jesus loves them, how Jesus died for them, how Jesus can redeem them, how Jesus can restore them, how Jesus can make a difference in their life and in their home and in their, their marriages and in their, their careers. He, they're, tra- they're, they're strapped to Paul. And more and more of these soldiers begin to give their life to Jesus. So don't miss that verse. All the saints greet you, especially those where? In Caesar's household. Those were his guards. That was his secret service agents that were strapped to him. And he's, and Nero was known as being one of the most fierce Christian hating Roman emperors in history. But guess who's Roman his halls? 
born-again believers. Is that not beautiful? That God even surrounded one of the meanest, most hateful, most Christ-hating people on earth with born-again believers. He was giving Nero an opportunity to learn about Jesus. You know what that tells me? There's nobody on this planet, I don't care how mean they are, how bad they are, how messed up they are, how destroyed their life may be, how their marriage may have fallen apart, their bodies are wrecked by drugs and alcohol, or or pornography, or gambling, or anything. You know what that tells me? Jesus still wants them to know about him. That's what that tells me. So we come to the end of his letter. And there's really only a couple of questions we need to answer based on this book are you as an individual currently living a life that is anchored in the truth of who God is and in a relationship with Jesus and in the truth of God's word are you living an anchored life only you can answer that I can't answer it for you you can't answer it for me but can I tell you something? God already knows the answer to that question. You, you can try to, listen, I can, I can I probably fool some of you. But I can't fool him. He knows whether I am or, is, or whether I am not living an anchored life. And if, you, if you're doing a little self-examination right now, and you've got to be honest with yourself. I'm not living a life that is anchored in the truth of of God and, and in a relationship with Jesus and in the and rooted in God's word. I'm just, I'm just not living that life. Then can I ask you something? What's stopping you? What's holding you back? Today's a great day to pick your anchor up from all that other stuff you've been trying to latch it on to. Family, pleasure, jobs, money, stuff, whatever it was, whatever you've been trying to anchor it to, that it's not holding you steady right now. And when the storms of life hit you, you're almost going under with it. Today's a great day to pull up anchor and make your way to the foot of the cross of Jesus and drop anchor right there. Lord Jesus, you died for me. You love me that much that God's wrath against all my sin and against all my rebellion is coming my way. And you loved me so much that you took all of that judgment and all of that wrath on yourself so I wouldn't have to endure it. And, all, and, and, and Lord, listen, all you're asking in return is that because you gave your life for me, you want me to give my life to you. Lord Jesus, I do that today. I'm going to drop anchor right here at the cross. That doesn't mean the storms are going to go away. They're still coming. Oh, they're coming. But here's what it does mean. When they hit with all of their viciousness and ferociousness, when the winds are howling and the waves are crashing and you're wondering, am I going to survive this? Am I going to be able to make it through this? Can, can, I, can I endure this? In that moment, you're going to know that it is well with your soul because you are anchored 
in Jesus Christ. In just a moment, we'll stand together, we'll sing together. All this is is just an opportunity for us to do something with what we've, we've talked about today. This, that's all this time is that we're getting ready to do. It's our chance to say either yes or no to what God has shown us. We can either tuck it away in our back pocket for a rainy day or we can tuck it into our heart and let, let God begin to do something in us. If you, you just, if you want to come and pray in this altar, you're always welcome to do that. It's a place where you can come and kneel and pray. If you want someone to pray with you or pray for you, I'm going to stand right down here in the front. I'll be glad to do that. But God will hear your prayer from that pew. Can I tell you that? He's not confined to this altar, and he sure isn't confined to that space where I stand. He's right there with you. And right where you are today, you can drop anchor at the cross. If you'll just let go of all the other things that you're anchored to. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you loved us too much to let us just get swept around by the storms of life, by the difficulties we face, by the problems that seem to be around us. Lord, it's just so easy for us to get swept away. But you love us so much, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to, to come and, and do something for us that no one else could do. You were the sinless person dying for all of us sinful people. You were the perfect person dying for all of us imperfect people. You were the, you were the unbroken one dying for all of us who are broken. And you did it, Lord, so that we could have peace with God. And so that we could sing songs like we did earlier today. It is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss. Lord, we want to hold on to it and we want to nurture it and we want to pamper it. But, Lord, the truth of the matter is it separates us from you. But we thank you that not in part but the whole, Lord, you, you nailed it all to your cross and paid for it right there so that we could know you. Lord, I pray that if there's one here in this room right now that their life is anchored to anything other than you. Lord, right now, Right where they are, whisper to their heart, it's time to pull up anchor. Come to the cross and drop it there. That's where we'll find truth and peace and satisfaction. Lord, in these next few moments, do in us and through us what only you can do. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing together.
Thank you so much for being here today. God bless you. I'm going to make my way to the front here, and I hope you'll come by so I can greet you. Thank you so much for being a part of our worship service today. Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you brought something to us that we just couldn't, we just couldn't make for ourselves, and that's peace with God. Lord, our sin has estranged us from him because he's holy, he's perfect. And, Lord, we're imperfect, and we're broken, and we're sinful. But, Lord, you did something for us that only you could do. You removed that barrier. 
by washing us clean and cleansing us of our sin. We thank you for every person, Lord, who's given their life to you and that forgiveness that they found. Lord, we pray that that we will make known to others that that truth so that they too can experience that forgiveness and be able to say it's well with their soul. We ask you to dismiss us now with your great love, Lord. We pray that you keep each one safe as they travel from here. And Lord, we just want to say that we love you and we thank you for who you are. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.